Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around cybersecurity for the last 20 years, and I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I was intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is also affiliated to the Security Architecture Podcast. I have Ivy here from Podcast Security to share their story and what motivated him to start the company. Avi, can you please introduce yourself and the company? Of course, first, thanks for having me. I'm Avi, 40 years old, married, one kid. And many times I say that I'm the cliche of a cybersecurity entrepreneur because I really am the cliche. I've been working in different ways in cybersecurity since I was 13 years old. I've been excited by this area as a teenager, spent slightly more than a decade in Israeli intelligence and in Checkpoint, and co-founded Orca Security three and a half years ago. Now, Orca's mission is extremely simple and important. Orca is the tool that connects to cloud environments like AWS, Azure, GCP, and the like, detect all the risks that exist in the environment, and help to put guardrails to prevent them from happening again. Now, the unique thing about Orca is that we are able, using the unique technology that we have invented, provide complete coverage of the environment with no agent, no scanner, no changes to the environment, provide the world most comprehensiveness in terms of security coverage, detecting not only one type of issues, but many, whether it's a vulnerability, misconfiguration, identity issue, active infection, and more. And last but not least, make it in contextual. So prioritizing the risk according to the actual business implication of that. Thank you, Avi. Very good introduction. It's interesting that we have one technology that enables something like AWS or Azure, and then a couple of years after we realize it's great, but we need to secure it. So 15 years ago, neither you or me were thinking we need such tool. And I'm wondering what happened in your life, I guess, was around five years ago, four years ago, to start the company. Let's look a bit at how the cloud security evolved. And if you think about that, we always, as human beings and as uh, even societies, when we evolve to new areas, we, there's a lot of uh, backward compatibility that we take in mind. We try to use things that have been used before for the new technology. So there's the formal story about the reasons for missile launcher to space that it's essentially the width of two horse carriages, because at the end of the day, the roads were built in the same size that, uh, the, that in, the media, in, uh, in the Middle Ages was the width of a horse carriage. So this essentially affected the way that we are currently uh, launching missiles to space. And it makes sense because this is the way that we work. We have technology and we build based on that. It's pretty much happened the same when we moved to the cloud. So when we moved to the cloud, we had the on-prem environment, we had machine, virtual machines, and we try to maintain backward compatibility. So we had physical servers and now we have virtual servers in the cloud. We had storage devices, now we have storage devices in the cloud. And in terms of security, we as an industry also took what we had agents to protect physical servers. So we took these same agents and moved them to protect the virtual servers. Where network scanners remove them. And it works because at the end of the day, everything is backward compatible. But on the other end, it's not ideal because we're taking technologies that were built for a different environment that were 
limited by certain physics of the environment, and we move them to a different environment which might not be limited to the same constraint, to the same physics. So when we spoke with customers and told them, you know, we can provide you the same level of visibility, the same level of security, seeing the vulnerability, seeing infection, seeing all the risk in the workload, but we don't need to deploy agents. At the beginning, they told us, you know, you're nuts. You have to do it. How can you do it with no agents? It's not possible physically. You have to do it either from the network or from the endpoint. And technically, they are right for physical environment, but the cloud is not a physical environment. So if you let go of all of the constraints that we're used to, when based on the way that you are thinking of older environments, you can really do great things. Thank you. This is what's the motivation to start the company? Or what happened four years ago to actually understand, okay, this is the direction I want to go. This is the company I want to build. I didn't answer too accurately, so I'll share about what caused me to start it. So I was, a, at this time, around 11 years in Checkpoint, did various roles. Last of them was being the chief technologist. And I and the rest of the co-founder looked at the area of cloud security. And I tried to answer a very simple question. Let's say that I have a cloud environment, AWS, CCP, Azure, I don't care which. And I want to answer a very fundamental question. What are the risks in my cloud environment? What do I need to do to answer that question? And when I looked at the industry back then, there was no good answer. One answer was to go and install a CSPM, uh, what now we call it a legacy CSPM, uh, tools like DOM9, Redlock, Evident, these kind of tools. They connect to the cloud environment and can tell you things like the S3 buckets open to the internet, the users are not configured accurately, stuff like that. Essentially taking the AWS, GCP Azure config and match it against best practices. They are very easy to deploy, but they show only a very small subset of the problem. They won't tell you if you have vulnerabilities, they won't tell you if you have misconfiguration in the workload, they won't tell you where your data is. For all of that part, you had to go and install agents. And going and installing agent is something that simply didn't work. I talked with numerous customers and told me, you know, it's project that takes between months to years, I get little coverage. And even if I managed to install it on a relatively high percentage of the environment, I put all of the time into that project. Then I have too many alerts from two different tools, tools that don't speak within each other. So I said, it doesn't make sense but if I want to answer the very basic problem of cloud security, what are the risks in my cloud environment, I need to invest so much time and effort into plumbing rather than getting the answer. And the goal was to create something that is as simple as installing a smartphone app, that have absolutely no friction, no, nothing that affects the environment. You just click approve and you get it run. And it will really answer that question of what are the risks in my cloud environment in a way which is as good as you'd get a consultant that got, the, the, got integrated, reviewed the environment, and came with a conclusion. Thank you. So you got an idea. You saw a problem. And I, before I ask him what you did next, I want to understand what do you mean by risk? Because the question you ask or the hypothesis is like, can I see risk? But let's define risk. What does it mean? Okay, so the way that I usually define risk is a combination of three things in terms of securities about, let's say, which locks I have in my environment that can be easily picked, that can be picked. 
A lock that can be picked is something like a misconfiguration, a vulnerability, something like that. A second part is who have access to that. For example, it might be a lock that is inside the cleaning supply cabinet or the front door, and what's behind this lock recursively. Then of the day, I see risk as a potential attack path that someone can use to steal my data or to do other stuff. And the combination of these three items. So getting a posture, but posture not only in terms of what is the compliance, but percentages and stuff like that, but what are the actual attack vectors that can affect my organization? I guess we also need to define what's the crown jewels in the company or what's important in the company because every company we have a bit different business needs. And definitely, this is why I said it's a calculation of three items. How is it to pick the lock? We have access to that and what's behind it. Now, if you go and drill down more technically, the third one, as you enter, is the hardest one because technically it's very, it's relatively easy to understand how it is to pick the lock and we have access to that. Is it exposed to the internet, to internal network? The value of data is something which usually is harder to get automatically. But there's good heuristics for that. For example, if there's something that allows access to a large database, it's usually a high impact. If there's a lock that if someone breaks into it, get a key that opens the entire environment as an administrator access, then naturally it's a crown jewel. But you hinted correctly that finding the crown jewels is something that many times can require tuning. And in fact, we are one of, I think, the only solution that actually use the term crown jewel in the terminology that you actually can mark part of your environment as crown jewel or not. Great. You have an idea. You see a problem in the industry. You mentioned you have co-partners as well. What do you guys do to go to validate that somebody will actually buy what you're going to build? The relatively funny and I say maybe unique situation with our case is that it was very clear that if it will work, people will buy it. The reason for that is because we weren't really offering just stuff that nobody have done before. We are offering to replace a stack that exists today, the stack that includes the vulnerability management, the workload protection, the CSPM, and other tools that existed, but in a dramatically better way with better TCO. So it's not a question of whether if it works, people buy that, because of course, nobody likes installing agents, nobody likes trying to connect siloed alerts from different tools into meaningful information, but about whether it can actually work. And this is something that was very hard to convince people. When we pitched it originally, people said, like, it can be true. You know, you tell me that you tell, give me a list of all of the risk in my environment and I don't need to do anything besides clicking I approve. It simply does, can't work. They're so used to the plumbing so we had to convince it. And frankly, this the, at the beginning, it was very hard to convince and that it was that it will actually work. And there is no, there's a lot of objection that people made that they believe just because it's hard to accept new technology. But once we had a certain mass of customers and organization that provide a case that it said this is works, it really changed the discussion. Why to have co-partners and not to go by yourself? There's pros and cons for each. By the way, we were eight founders. Oh, not sure. sorry. I, was, I don't know why I think it's three. So you eight partners. Eight partners, yes. You're definitely winning on the scale for how many partners you have in the people I interview so far. So why eight? How do you pick eight? I'm just wondering. And if eight is a magic number or something else? 
I don't believe in magic numbers. We were a group of eight. By the way, the vast majority are still in the company and in the top positions in the organization. And frankly, I'll ask, how can you do it without a strong team? I think the value of a strong team is that you can eat the ground running much faster with capable people that know what they do, that know how to build software, how to architect, know how to define products. It's, at the end of the day, the only downside of that, and this is a very small downside, is that you split the cake with more people. But nobody cares about it. I don't care about it. The cake is big. It's about the size of the cake, not about which percentage of the cake. And having a larger team dramatically increases your chance to succeed, in my opinion. And there's many precedences. Not many people know, but there's many companies where they, for example, Huawei and others that have more than eight founders. I didn't know. With so many great people, and I'm wondering, each of them has their own skill set. How do you keep track on tasks and how you decide what's more important? Because everybody may go different direction. Although we were eight founders, it's not, it doesn't mean that we are eight managers or that there are eight executives. We really quickly agreed on positions that everyone does what he does best. So... I always joke that one thing that I'm really sorry about in Orca is that I haven't had an opportunity to write a single line of code. And I wrote a lot of code in my career, really, until at least five or six years ago. But frankly, there's people that do it better than me now. And there's other people that do architecture better and other that do threat research. And we simply decided who is doing what. And this was the way that we built the organization. Just because there's many founders doesn't mean that any decision by committee. There are still tasks. You need to keep on keep task management, CRMs, prioritizing. What do you do? Is there a better way to do it to make sure everybody in sync and everybody moving to the same direction? That's true. Even when you have both when you have eight founders and now that we have 400 employees, there's still a lot of tasks that need to be managed and there's tools to manage tasks that naturally evolved. We evolved our usage of them as we grow the company from you know more basic ones when we're just a few people to more advanced ones now that we are fine with people you find it hard to stay on top of task and decide what's more important on how you decide which direction to take the company maybe it's a customer input maybe it's a roadmap or your own vision on a day-to-day basis this is definitely a hard task because the day-to-day it's so easy to be dragged on you know to- taking this customer call reviewing this marketing campaign or talking about this feature and drag to the day-to-day. But I think that as a manager, you have a responsibility to make sure that you devote enough time to longer-term strategy and to take the time to understand what we're doing in the next, not only week, but six months, year, five years. Make sure that your time is, I won't say equally, but is split to both the short and to the long term of that. Did you guys define any values when you started the company to make sure you align to them and you hire people with the similar values? So we did. There's definitely a lot of things that we decided to focus. First is the seamlessness of the product. We really believe in seamlessness, that it, need, it just needs to work. It can be something that they need to work, to work out, to deploy it so simply you know, be as simple as installing an app. And it really defined how we build a product. We'd go a long way to develop a feature that will 
spur the customer from giving us two inputs because we believe it should just work. We just need to approve and we do the rest. So this is one of the values that really guided us when we built the platform. We also wanted to make it a one-stop shop, something that answers all of the questions, not only focusing in one different area. Now, on the soft side and people side, it was very important for us to focus on collaboration and innovation. And I'm really big believer in both of them. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we're innovating the space. I invented the technology of the side scanning. The team invented numerous technologies that enable cloud security. We don't have anyone to look and copy from. This is not what we are. We are coming with a new technology and we need to innovate whether it is in the technology side or in the way that we go to market. We need to be innovative in both. Second is collaboration. Nobody can do it by himself. And especially as we grow, as we have people around the world, we need to collaborate. We need to work together, not against each other, and something that we are really focusing heavily. Did you find it hard to hire people, especially during the pandemic? And I'll say hiring people is easy. Hiring the right people is harder. <laughs> so, it's a good uh, expression. So how do you hire the right people, I guess, is a different question. It's always about you know, interviewing, getting references, the regular stuff. And I must say that during the pandemic, it was much harder because we haven't met people face-to-face. And there's something that is lost when you don't meet people. But we simply had to. We grew from a few dozens to hundreds of people during the pandemic. And I lived in the world that, you know, I hired my uh, CFO and I haven't met him for 18 months. So this was the world that we walked in and we did the best out of. It was really a pleasure when we first had the opportunity to meet all, we had an event in Jamaica. We took the entire company a few days to connect face-to-face. It was really amazing few days. And hiring people is always hard because you don't want to make mistakes when you hire people. You need to see that they fit both professionally, that they fit also fit with the team. And it's never an easy decision. So I take any decision about hiring very uh, seriously, but we never had an issue having lack of candy, uh, that there's not enough people applying, whether it's in the a product, in the go-to-market or others. We're one of the very fast-growing companies, and there's always a lot of candidates that are interested to come and work for us. Is there a significant event, or maybe a customer win, or several of them that show you that you're on the correct path, you develop in the right direction. I think that the situation was the end of 2020, when COVID already hit, and when the company is just scaling, and within the last two weeks of 2020, and there's literally, I think, a few dozen deals that were pending to be signed, and, you know, I had only two sellers at this time, so and, you know, they told me, I, we believe that a vast majority of these deals were, uh, are going to be signed by the end of the year. And I will, I'm usually a skeptical person because, you know, this is just the nature of me. And in these two weeks, all of the deals that were forecasted, 100% of them, even some that weren't signed. It was, we really grew our revenue by hundreds of percents in like a few days. And of course, it's the Q4 effect that, you know, a lot of things are getting dragged to the last few days of the year. But it was, so it's not just happy years that, yes, they are going to buy it. Yes, they are going to buy it. But actually, everything that was supposed to be and some that weren't was signed by the end of this quarter. So this definitely pushed us to understand, yep, it's not only people paying, 
they're willing to pay millions of dollars for this technology. And it frankly didn't add a lot of customer till then, but now they are. This is an amazing story. I like it a lot. If you can go back a couple of years ago and provide an advice to yourself, what will be the advice to maybe do stuff differently or better? First, I'd advise myself to not hesitate and to go start and go start a company. It's really an amazing experience that yes, it's extensive, it's a lot of work, but go do it. This is the first one. But to your question, I'll say always continue to plan for success and do it early. There's so many times a manager say, okay, should I hire that person? Should I build this business function or wait a bit to get more signal? And frankly, I think that we should must be optimistic and always plan for success. If you need it, do it two months before. You're going to pay more on delaying doing something rather than doing too early in most of the cases. So go faster in some cases? It's go earlier oh, and yeah. fast. If you know something that is needed in three months, do it now. If you believe that this organization function needs expansion, it will need expansion six months, start today. I know running a company could be very hard and a lot of under pressure. You guys have almost what, 500 people right now, I believe so. Is there something you do personally to balance yourself? Or when something happened unexpected, you know, you're going to do a workout, do something else to kind of calm down, go back to yourself and come back fresh. First, I think that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you work and a manager of a company, you work very long hours. I work between 12 to 16 hours a day, depending on when. And when I travel, it's sometimes worse. So I think you need to make sure that you put enough time for yourself to have the balance for the family. This is also super important. And another item that I heard and I really try to, to remember, and it is a tip that a fellow entrepreneur told me when I just started, no matter how your day looks like, even if it looks amazing, it's probably not as good as you think. And if it looks horrible, it's not as you think. Things are usually more in the middle. We tend to take great news and think that everything is amazing and take bad news and say everything is horrible. In reality, things are much, much more balanced. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. Now they have our same hero as well. Let's switch topics. Let's switch gears. We're going to switch to dark side. For everybody that's listening, please stay tuned. We like this section as well. And if you're listening, please don't forget to comment, like, subscribe, and tell your friends. Avi, let's talk about stuff that are not always good. You mentioned sometimes there are good days, sometimes there are bad days. Maybe you can share some of the bad days. Maybe you can share some of the bad experience that you wish didn't happen. Oh, maybe it happened and you actually like it because you learned something and you decided, okay, this, we're not going to be doing this anymore. That's a tough question, but I'll share some stuff that happened to me that I really I dislike and I recommend people simply not to do because it's simply not a way to conduct business. There's been a few times that, you know, I've worked with prospect, with the customer, the VC, and I reached a certain level of engagement. I'm not, I'm talking about, you know, having a meeting or two, working for a restaurant, and then being ghosted, not getting any email answered. Now, I'll admit it, it's not like I can answer any cold email. I'm getting on average between 300 and 700 emails a day. So it's not like I can read each and every one of them. And I don't answer cold emails. But if I worked with someone, I met him, had worked, bread read, I had a conversation, if I get an email, I'll always reply. And this is something that if it doesn't happen, I really 
feel on a personal level. I met with the person, I reach it's completely okay, say it doesn't work for me, but not being responded, every time it happens, it, I feel slightly bad about it. Fair. Maybe on a bigger scale of customers, BOCs, or bad meeting with VCs when you raise money. And on VC meetings, there's always demand. There's no round of orchid that wasn't oversubscribed. So uh, all of our rounds from the seed to the extension C, there's more organization that wanted to invest than the amount that we were willing to take. So we are very lucky with that. Now, there were several cases that, you know, this is told us, no, it's too expensive. It's not going to work. But it's usually, you know, I never took it personally because instead it's a game of math. It's not like you're going to talk with 10 VCs and 10 will come with terms. It's each one of their own position. And, and you should just take it as it should. Naturally, we had cases with customers where we lost deals and it felt really bad about it, including sometimes the deals that I believe that are going to be signed. And we lost it on the verge of getting signed. And there can be many reasons. At the end of the day, it can be that a competitor was able to push a different price or that there's a macro event like COVID and they're in the hotel chain and now the COVID hit and they can't expense a single donor. So every time something like that happens, it's a blow. But you just need to understand that, you know, look at the macro. This is at least the way that I looked at it. You can't control everything. You can't win every deal. You can't. There's some things that are beyond your, your control, and you just need to see how it can affect the things that are between the control. So yes, I had bad days when I heard about something that was supposed to be big for the business and it didn't fall through, but it just you need to be bummed for an hour and continue. Smart advice. Anything else you can advise to people that maybe potentially want to start their own business? I get this question a lot, and I have one thing that I always recommend. And the one thing is to make sure that you have something which is at least order of magnitude better than the current uh, solution that is used, they are using. You will never be able to convince organization to switch if your solution is marginally better. The status quo is too important, too strong. You need to be able to provide something which is order of magnitude better on a meaningful metrics and can be easily articulated. It's like you need to be able to uh, continue the sentence like, dude, you need to look at X, they are doing Y, where X is your company and Y is why did it matter. Like early days in Orca, dude, you need to look at Orca, they are doing workload deep security with no agents. Of course, we do much more than that and we matter more than that. But this is a one-liner that is valuable to organization and they are able to understand. If you can't articulate in one sentence why you are so much better, than everyone else, it will be very hard for you to penetrate the market. Thank you. I have a question that I should never ask anyone, and I've been thinking about this a lot. It's one thing to win a customer, but then we want the stickiness. We don't want the customer to leave after a year or two or three. So what's the magic to actually customer retention? Is this support? Is this consistent check what they're doing? Is this a technology that always works. It's a combination. Of course, just getting the customer to sign, if he doesn't use it, it will churn and you'd wish that he'll never sign. It's about making sure that you'll continue to innovate and be the best solution in the market. 
you can't just assume they'll stay with you because they bought you. You need to continue to be the same. You need to provide great service to them. And by the way, you even need to make sure that you don't piss them. You might be providing the best service and they might be haven't uh, predicted the usage and the cost will be more than they expected. And at the end of the day, they might be pissed due to that. So it's a combination. But at the end of the day, if you provide value, you are the best solution that they can buy that solves a real problem. It's not the best according to metrics that they don't care. They'll retain your customers and even more important, they'll become your marketing because they'll speak to your friends, they'll share the word. One of the things that I'm really happy to share is that we have a, around 50 reviews on a G2 Crowd with a rating of 4.7. I don't control what they write. And this is second to companies that have been in the business two decades and have a revenue of probably a few dozen times of mine. And, so, and the reason is people are really excited about what you do. If you manage to get them to be excited about it and happy, they'll also be your marketing. And this is invaluable. Great advice. And I'm very excited that you joined and been on the episode. You provided a lot of good advice for people. So thank you for coming here. Thanks for having me. Everybody that's listening, please subscribe and we'll talk to you and we'll hear from us in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a good day.